Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. My guest today is author and channeler, Carol Serene Borgens, who has been channeling the spirit energy packs since the early 1990s, when she was first contacted and asked to be their spiritual emissary and messenger. That has ushered forth the creation of book series, one which we will talk about today on this podcast, Do Unto Earth, It's Not Too Late. Well, thank God for that. And this covers a wide range of topics from environmental change to off-planet exploration, insights into many so-called mysteries and the conditions of Earth. Carol, thank you so much for being on the Spiritual Geek Out podcast with me today. Hello, Diane. Thank you for inviting me. It's a true pleasure to meet you and to be here with your listeners. Thank you. Well, you've been channeling PACs since the 1990s, but I intuit that you've been doing this much longer than the 1990s. And have you always been a channeler, would you say? No, a little bit like you, Diane, I am a late bloomer Okay. into uh, some of this work that I do. Um, I was studying all things metaphysical um, with a focus on past life regression. I was um, fascinated by the work of Edgar Cayce, uh, read everything he wrote. I was fascinated with past life regression. I began to study and practice that with clients and all kinds of other forms of, of um, metaphysical healing. And it was the one thing that called to me was a form of channeling, and that was automatic writing, which is a practice that I do use. Um, in wanting to learn more about the automatic writing, I, of course, um, studied and learned about channeling, but it came to me slowly, and it came to me because I was not... Um, cognizant of the importance of protecting myself when I was beginning a channeling session, I was visited by all sorts of spirits that hadn't crossed over and were just looking for any kind of communication. Mm. It was during one of those sessions uh, when I was writing that suddenly the energy in the room shifted the energy in my my hand my arm uh, my writing hand changed dramatically as did the writing style which by the way is never mine it's always been that of Pax it's large and flowy and scrolly and that changed in front of my eyes and there was the message from Packs at the time asking, uh, would I be interested in considering to become his channel? That the one who had formerly channeled him had passed away, and what he looked for was someone to put his 
teachings into book form and get that information out to the world. So my first question was, why me? Uh, why me? And he, he advised that it was because I was new at this. I had no bad habits in terms of channeling, and I would change none of his words. <clears throat> so on that basis, I asked for time to consider this. That was too much of a responsibility to, to answer quickly. So after a week or almost two weeks, I agreed and said that I would. And knowing at the time, I had no way of putting what I was going to write into book form and getting it out to the world. I trusted in that. And, and that was an agreement with myself. I trusted that would come over time. If I'm agreeing to this uh, and beginning the channeling, which I did, uh, the time would come when I would be able to fulfill that part of my agreement with PAX. And here we are today. We have six books published. I have eight, actually. I have children's books as well with PAX. So it was... It was an agreement in the 1990s. And since that time, I have never channeled any other spirit, mm. ever. I have no need. Um, and so my focus has always been on channeling packs. And we have morphed into being able to do the channeling at the keyboard, which makes book writing a lot more quickly, and also live channeling now which I haven't been doing before. Hmm. So that that is my entry into this um, at, a, at a later age. And uh, it's my greatest blessing in this lifetime and my true focus now. You say in the book that <clears throat> when asked who is Pax, uh, they, which you say for to keep it simple, he, um, we are the divine universe, not the universe alone, the God being, and the God wisdom. And they say that they're not of this earth, right? And they've never lived here um, or in any incarnation, and that they are the spirit messenger of truth, peace, and goodwill. Is PAX a, an acronym for something? Spirit, me spirit um, messenger and peace. Peace. Okay. Yes. Peace. Pax means peace, I believe, in Latin. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that description of, of who he is, the divine wisdom. I wonder if your readers would be interested in his answer to the question of if we could see him, what would he look like? That's a, my next question. <laughs> Of course, we want to define some sort of idea or form or even idea of formlessness. If you're a light, what does the light look like? What does the collective look like? Yeah. Well, in true Pax fashion, um, <laughs> this doesn't nail it down. <laughs> I imagine. We are a puff of cloud, a breath of wind, a library filled with knowledge, a raging river and a vast ocean. We are the circumference of your globe and the weight of it. We are the sound of the jungle and the quiet of the snow, while all the while 
being the figure like Atlas holding the weight of your world on his shoulder while attempting to support humankind. This is our who and our why and our reason for being with you as a constant. Mm. (laughs) Where did they come from? We know they didn't come from Earth. We know there's infinite possibility. And they even say we are infinite. So are they just ascended or they don't even have anywhere to ascend. They just were born as light. We're all light. See, this is where my head starts to spin. Yes, yes. And as Pax said, we're with you as a constant. That gives us a clue as to the always aspect of their being. Always constant. The universe is infinite. Hmm. We, so, we are to consider this wisdom as infinite. So when Pax comes in, is it a deliberate, intentional sitting down? They don't come in and just sort of take over like a medium would be taking a shower and, oh, there's a spirit. (laughs) (laughs) That's an excellent question. Uh, It's changed just a slight bit. It's always been, as you phrase it, a deliberate sitting down. I sit down, I ask for protection for myself, and I ask for the presence of Pax to be with me. And we we have our session and then it's over. I close the session and Pax is, is gone. Over the last couple of years, I would say, as I've been more and more busy with the writing aspect of the Pax work, there have been times when I am, how I refer to it as called by Pax. He's got something to say. It, I feel it as an as a as a knowingness as a thought process. I've never I don't hear a Pax voice. I hear the words as a thought, and so I have a sense. My intuitive self has a sense that I'm being called. Pax wants to share something, so I will come into my office if I'm home and sit down at the computer and and begin to 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 write what it is, whatever the message is. It's generally um, pertaining to humanity as a whole. It's something that is very much on the mind of of the spirits, and it's something I have not asked, and so apparently I need to. And I am delighted when that happens, and I, I respect it and am grateful for it. It does not happen that often. But when it does, I know it's important. And sometimes it will be pertaining to a person that I know. And it's got, it's like an intuitive hit about something or somebody that needs to be shared. And it's timely. So I'm being asked. I understand. Okay. Well, let's go into this extraordinary work that you and I might add that you uh, wrote with Penelope Hayes, is that correct? Yes. And uh, she asks the questions as a journalist. Yes. And um, you channel packs and offer the answers. So um, it's a really wonderful um, approach to just reading and learning and getting information step by step. And you bring up a lot of really 
she brings up a lot of pressing questions and you answer with a lot of profundity, you, Pax, working through you. So one that really struck me is this information that I feel, at least maybe in the circles I'm um, talking with and the books I'm reading, is this information that we were star-seeded, that evolution, Darwin's theory, that's very limited and it's actually not quite accurate. And we're slowly catching up with that, shall we say, truth. <laughs> and uh, so um, I had a guest on who talks about Lemuria and she talks about us being star-seeded. I think of Greg Braden and uh, his book, I think it's called um, The Science of Self-Empowerment. And he talks and brings forward the fact that we did not evolve necessarily from cavemen. In fact, you know, there was some sort of deliberate DNA fusion that took place that modern science cannot quite wrap its head around. And it's like chimpanzees have 48 chromosomes, we have 46. It's not that something's missing, it's that something got rearranged at some point that was quite deliberate. <laughs> and it's not of this earth. And, uh, and there's science now to essentially back it. So in your book, uh, you go into this, which I thought was really great to see and in great detail uh, when you talk about how we settled and from different, um, different uh, I don't even know if I want to say species, but um, beings from other planets. So it explains the different races even the different cultures, mm -hmm. different preferences. And we're here to really, as part of our curriculum, perhaps to not only accept one another, seems like a blatant obvious, but <laughs> love one another and love the differences and the difference of preferences and the differences of it all. So I would love if you could go into... Um, this subject for our listeners and how we were star-seeded and how it essentially obliterates Darwin's theory of evolution and um, how you talk about that we came when it was essentially hospitable and ha habitable to do so. Was that maybe, and I'm guessing 25, uh, two, uh, 250,000 years ago? I don't know. That was a long question, sorry. It's, it's a long, long time ago when this earth was <clears throat> in pristine condition. Mm -hmm. um, and as you were asking that question, I was thinking, here we are, how many thousands and thousands of years later, and we still cannot accept one another for our differences. Amazing. Yes. Um. I think what we have here is a, an Earth experiment, a planet Earth school, a an Earth um, being seeded by who we refer to today as our ancient alien ancestors. And as they brought various types of being to this earth, 
As by the way they have in their own civilizations, it's almost like a bee colony with a queen and, a, and worker bees. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of that replicated in, in some of our, our alien ancestors uh, today, apparently. But on this earth, we were brought here as an experiment, a planet experiment, to um, see what, what could be manifested with this beautiful sphere and what what we could do to bring it to greatness and so it was habitable forevermore for all and we certainly um have a lot of explanations today um if we base our belief on that theory um for example Someone was recently asking about Bigfoot, about Sasquatch, um, that they have been here all this time, that they haven't changed their DNA. They were here for a purpose as well. They don't evolve. Uh, So many of our species did not evolve. Um, Darwinism would say that we would all evolve to our highest potential. Well, for for many who did come here and were star seated here, um, the potential was not high. They were workers and were only intended to be of help in the very basics uh, on this earth plane. We we fast forward to some civilizations who, such as our indigenous peoples, our First Nations cultures, that in history, whether it be the West Coast or or the um, Brazilian rainforest or any of those cultures who understood how to live in harmony with Mother Earth and did and created wellness uh, and sustained wellness in their harvesting, whether it be planting and harvesting, whether it be of of fields and farms or their fisheries or their animals. There was always abundance and they saw to it that there would be. Um, They were valued on this planet as they are today. Unfortunately, we tend to override what they do with with, um, non-sustainable methods uh, of harvesting. But we are still being visited, if you will. We still are having star-seeded entities come to this planet to teach us. Now we're in a state where we need higher knowledge and ability than we seem to be prepared to, to learn ourselves and or listen to. And so the star seeds that are coming in, the children that we have called, um, Crystal children um, that we now have known as new Orions. They are youth and they are wise and they are coming here from from far away planets and dimensions to teach us, to get us back on track so that we don't once and for all completely annihilate this planet Mother Earth of ours. And it is our role, if we will, to understand that we've had this role reversal where we as a civilization have now better become the students 
and listen to the teachings of those that we look upon as questionable maybe in their philosophies, but certainly are the ones that are going to be guiding us into sustained wellness of this planet. You have a beautiful quote here I want to read uh, where we talk about, you talk about uh, going back to the elders, to the grandmothers, the people of the earth, the indigenous ones, the ones that, of course, big corporations and the greedy and the powerful often want to just forget and take out and then they become the disenfranchised when we need them the most and they're the most often connected to this thing we call divine mother Gaia. And you say, as you observe the change of balance in the native indigenous communities and see the wisdom of the people extend to the bringing of higher education to the children, you can know that the past will rise again. History repeats itself and you are to watch for the resurgence of power in the First Nations peoples. When they reclaim their rightful place as stewards of the planet, there will be a gradual and harmonious return to wellness in your world. It is not too late. Oh. You know, that that gives me chills. Yes, me too. To hear that. <laughs> Pax talks throughout his writings about going back to find your future. Mm. And this is precisely to what he's referring. Those old ways. They are invaluable. And the elders who still have the language and the oral traditions, who still have the reverence for planet Earth and teach it to their youth, that combined with their regained strength and their reclaiming of their sovereignty over their land and their sovereign rights um, is exactly what we need. And yet our corporate greed and our political situation is often such that they're denied that. I think there's fear involved. And all they want to do is protect Mother Earth, sustain the resources, and be of help. How, how can we not recognize that and get on board with trying to facilitate this? It's so important. Yeah. I think we've all, or many of us to a great degree, have just been, we could call it amnesia, we can call it programming, we can call it cognitive dissonance, we can call it bad habits, we can call it ignorance, we can call it all of it. <laughs> we can call it divisiveness, separation. We can call it so many just things that are not of the highest order that could precipitate that which you speak of. But the key, at least in reading this book, is at least what I'm hearing and hanging on to as a living being is that it's not too late. And if we get enough people to step up and raise their vibration, then we know that collectively we can create, it's like the snowball effect, but it's like the snowball's not going down, it's going up, <laughs> right? And oh, yes. levity is possible. 
can I ask you, you say we're still being visited. And Pax oh, yes. Yes. about this. Yeah, in the book. <laughs> My question to Pax is, with all this negative, ignorant, selfish um, creation that we're doing here on planet Earth, some of us, but also we're all part of the problem. So I take full responsibility in, in my part. Um, are they visiting or are they intervening? Are they saying, hands off, you guys got this. We'll just kind of pray for you or do whatever. <laughs> are they just buzzing by? as Pax? That's it. You read it. Pax tells us that they buzz by to see how we're doing. In other words, they buzz by to monitor our progress. They see nothing they want, so <laughs> they don't stop. That's a direct quote. <clears throat> now, conversely, we also know, believe, are told that yes, in fact, emissaries are here on earth. They're sent here. You can look around you, you can see, and, and they will most generally be the youth of today that we look at and we wonder, how do they know that? How do they have this conscience? How do they have this power of, of belief in the movements to re-green Mother Earth, for example, to bring wellness to our planet? Well, they are sent here. They have come back into this lifetime uh, for the purpose of teaching us because we are not being visited by spaceship loads of well-meaning ancestors. They have found out what happens when they try to stop here. We are, some countries are very weaponizing and will greet them with gunfire and blow them out of the sky if they can, perhaps. And it's out of fear. It's simply, it's fear. So they're, they're you know, think back to Roswell. Yes. Think back to everything surrounding that. So today we have, we have the, <clears throat> the emissaries, the youth that are here to teach and to show, not just to talk, but to show us the way to finding ourselves in tune with, getting in tuned with those who, like our First Nations brothers and sisters, who all they are trying to do is repair um, and, and, you know, redeem our place on this planet. Um, but it's, um, it's the greed of corporate and government um, groups that override them, and we can get in, we do, we get into the whole conversation about fossil fuels and their, the, the need for them today. Really? Do we? Um, we have options. Why are we not going there? Why do we pollute the waters the way we do? Um, so <clears throat> I recall in the town I grew up in, it, we are surrounded by Indian bands. And when I was growing up there, I remember th looking at the way they lived, which was not in, in, in good, um, 
in a good manner a lot of the time. And poverty was a part of it, big part. And I remember thinking, even as a child, when they focus on the importance of education, everything will change for them. And when they start sending their youth to law school, everything will change for them. And I have watched that happen over the years. And Pax has echoed it in the Do Unto Earth book that, that um, our First Nations people are so wise and they have the re- claimed the resources to be able to educate their youth and get them through, you know, the important things such as law schools so that they can continue to provide help for their bands so that they may reclaim their rights, their Indigenous rights, and up and up they climb, and it's wonderful to see, but we need to be part of their solution, which is part of our solution to our our planet Earth, Hmm. and not hold them back or fear them. We should not fear them. You say in your book not to, um, what do you say? Pax says, with the indigenous to study them, to observe their tradition, to observe their culture, to listen to them. Yeah. And, and you don't even have to necessarily approach them, but really look at them from a watchful, heartful, heart-centered um, approach so that you can really receive the wisdom that is right in front of your face that's been there. Oh, and it is. And some of the First Nations authors produce wonderful books that talk about such things as if if and when you take a gun and you go into the woods to hunt for food, that is what you are doing, is this is not sport hunting, you are hunting for food, you give thanks to the soul of that animal for giving itself to you, to your family and your village for sustenance over this winter. You give thanks for the gift of that animal's soul. They consider the same when they fish and take what they need from the river. And the key is they take only what they need. Mm. Whether they're picking um, berries or herbs from the forest or whatever it may be, they give thanks for what they're given and they take only what they're, they need. What a concept. You, you, you it's think a bit foreign to us. Right. But it makes perfect sense. And by the way, if anybody's ever eaten that kind of meat opposed to the meat that we normally eat here in the Western world, you know, it tastes completely different because of the energy that is radiating from that piece of meat and everything that went into it ceremoniously yes. to respect that which is to be eaten. It's a completely different experience. I'll never forget when I had something like that and it was just night and day. And uh, to, to your point, and you mentioned, I believe it's in your other book about the Corona, how, Part of the problem is people are eating this meat that's coming from these factories where they're abusing animals, which is just a whole other conversation. It's horrific. And of course, of course, we are ingesting 
the energy because energy is, if anyone's listening and doesn't know this, energy is transferable. Yes, it's transferable. And so you are eating the energy, dead or alive, of that animal that was tortured, beaten, ignored, ridiculed, you name it. And it's going into your body. And then you go and watch the TV set and you watch it, all the horrors going down on your university of TV education. And (laughs) you're wondering why you are, you know, holed up in your house in fear because you're, and you're eating the meat down from your local, you know, butcher shop or wherever you're eating it that hasn't been blessed, that hasn't been coming from the most integrous sources. And you're filling yourself with toxic mind viruses on top of everything else you're putting in your body. You wonder why you're going to catch a flu, (laughs) cold or COVID or whatever. Yeah. What you're describing, absolute truth. And you didn't say the words, but you meant it. What people are consuming are fear hormones that are in that meat. Yeah. Just think of that. Um, first of all, it's hard to even think about the conditions for those. That, I'm not a meat eater. That, to think about the conditions for those animals. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's the COVID. That's a whole nother story that Pax has spoken about in two books called The Likely Future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, volumes one and two. And he talks about in another book we did, just I did with Pax channeled, it's called um, Personal Power Will End the Pandemic. Mm. One of the ongoing messages of Pax through time has been the importance of personal empowerment, self-empowerment, self-respect, and knowing that whatever it is, you can, you can do it. And it's about empowering each of us to rise um, above where we think our ceiling may be. Uh, And working our way through this pandemic, this limitation that people are feeling, some to a greater extent than others. But if you look at it from the big picture, These lockdowns or these stay-in-your-own-health zone um, commitments that that we've made, it's all about the greater good, isn't it? It's about humanity. It's about thinking outside of our own personal wellness and considering what we can do uh, for the greater good. And that is, don't, don't take yourself out into into the world if you think you may have been exposed uh, to the virus, any virus for that matter. You shouldn't go to to work or school when you have a cold or any flu. Um, And certainly this one, um, think think about that. Um, So Pax is wanting us to know we have have this inner strength. We, We all have the ability. Um, to rise above and be aware that we have we have the universe watching over us if we will accept it, allow it in, if we will feel 
the blessing that that we all have if we'll open to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we expand our vision of what's possible. There's an amazing quote. It's so simple, but it just sits with me in the book. And Pac says, narrow vision is its own reward. <laughs> Don't you love that? Huh. Um, I, yeah. I can share with your readers that our beloved Pax has a cheeky side, <laughs> truly, has an excellent sense of humor, and has a cheeky side. And I think, if I'm correct, that quote comes after a very, very short answer he gave to a question that he just was not going to go into it any further, because that is his response. Mm, it says it all, too, though. Well, it does. And um, that's that's one of the areas of this channeling that I do that is, it's all a joy. But there are moments when I just stop and laugh and laugh out loud because he'll say something like that. Yeah. And I love it. But it's true. Um, to, to, to close our minds is so damaging. Yeah. And we are the, you, you see what the result of that is. So kind of is the writings on the wall. Let's, let's go into a little bit of the woo woo stuff. Oh Uh, yes, please. (laughs) Some of our listeners are like, please come on, let's get to it. Um, so in, in the book, there's a lot of mysteries of the universe or of planet Earth that are covered. Um, and I'd love to just hit you up yes. on some of those. Let's just start with the building of the pyramids, which we, uh, uh, us spiritual seekers, have probably read about in a myriad of different sources. And you talk about this advanced civilization using teleportation to take plasma, which is the fourth state of matter or ether, right? And taking it and uh, teleporting it and dismantling it so that it can be reassembled again into another place or a location. Is that accurate? Yes, and if your readers uh, who are Star Wars fan think about beam me up, Scotty, okay. what happened? Right. There's a dematerialization and our subject reappears elsewhere. Right. So there's a couple of trains of thought here. Um, one is that Pax speaks about the, the thought transference of moving these blocks um, in in the manner in which they were, that that the pyramids and other stonehenges and giant edifices that were built of stone blocks back in those times were were not done by slaves and ropes and rollers that they pulled uphill and across the country for many miles before they even got to the site um, to assemble them. So when we look at this, and if we take one side step for a moment and think about all of the other aspects of those ancient structures, such as how they were aligned 
astronomically, how they were aligned with um, a sun at a certain day of a year that the sun shone through that specific portal. All this kind of information was not known to the people of the time. And so we're told it was our ancient alien ancestors who brought that wisdom uh, to earth at that time to the people and brought the technologies to be able to masterfully create uh, these structures that were put in place for worship, uh, for predicting, um, you know, the movement of the stars, the planets, and had many, many uh, uses at the time. But clearly, that was advanced technology that Pax tells us was brought by our ancient alien ancestors. Okay. And Pax says that there's historical um, notions of these visits and in, in, that are found in different um, pieces of art and in sto ancient stories. It, would that be like what we see in Egypt that's etched like the flower of life etching and using sacred geometry or yeah. art not sh revealed yet and we haven't found it yet on the planet? Well, it, no, it's that and more. Okay. If you make a study of, of the etchings in stone across and around the globe, including things that are just being found today because people are uncovering in the rainforest, for example, um, there is a fascinating similarity to today. And it's this, the deities of no matter what culture, whether it be up in, in the Andes or Himalaya or down in the jungles, there is a similarity, and that is they appear in the stone, in the carvings, as having an enormous head. Mm -hmm. But it isn't exactly a head. Because when, and, and it'll have spikes quite often coming out, pointing upward. When you compare these from around the globe, with a picture beside of an astronaut from today, it is that helmet. Mm. It is that astronaut's helmet that may have some little antennas at the top and a face shield. And that is consistent with these carvings that are found around the world that were the deities of those civilizations. They were worshipped because they were the god beings that came down in their silver ships. And it's very, very common to find depictions of those orbs in the sky that represent the spaceships of old. It is a commonality. You can just... You can look at one and look at the ancients and look at today and think, yep, yeah, yeah, that's what they're de they're depicting is um, visitors, yeah. visitors from other dimensions. Were they other planets? I don't know. Were they other dimensions? Don't know. Maybe both. But that's what those were their gods, their deities of the time. 
just look at how they were clothed lines up perfectly with today's astronauts. Yeah, it's fascinating. And the Bermuda Triangle. Now I grew up, my dad was a recreational pilot. We had a little tiny Cessna and we would fly over the Bermuda Triangle many times as a kid. And I, I was always fascinated with like the mysteries of the unknown. I had the time life books. I was into (laughs) stuff. So I always kind of expected something, you know, I was the one in the back seat in the back of the plane going, Oh my God, when's this plane going to drop? You know, we're going over the Bermuda triangle and, and it was always bumpy. It's like when I go to India, I fly to Dubai and then go from there to Mumbai. And that's sort of my, the flight pattern, the flight path I like to take. And every time before I land in Dubai, uh, we're flying over, I believe, part of Afghanistan. And it is so turbulent that I can't tell you how many times I've flown over that and people are freaking out. The turbulence is so bad. People are getting out of their seats. People are praying and bowing on the floor, doing their pujas and what have you and prayers because they think the plane's going to go down. And I'm like, there's some weird, funky energy here. Right. And it's not just dust clouds. It is weird. And it happens every time. And maybe it doesn't happen to other people, but every time I <laughs> it happens. And I can tell you flying over the Bermuda triangle growing up, there were any real problems, but there was crazy turbulence nine times out of 10. And one time, One time, I remember there was some sort of um, instrument that did like a spin and it reset. It was like something that happened in an instant, maybe like 20 seconds. That's a long time to be up in the air. Oh, yes. (laughs) But um, there, there was like a little bit of drop in altitude and then my dad reset. And keep in mind, these old Cessnas, everything was, you had to read your instruments. It's not digital. It's not computerized. It's you need to be know <laughs> up and down, right? And uh, so Bermuda Triangle. Pat says in the book that there is a magnetization, there is an energy, and it's because of these underground bases for flying <laughs> UFOs to basically park in themselves there and so that they can do interstellar travel. But nothing's going on now, but it will in the future. I'd love if you just kind of extrapolate on that. Yes, uh, it's fascinating. But he talks to us about um, USO um, vehicles under um, unidentified submersible uh-huh. objects and that there are and have been bases for USOs around the world. I do believe you live perhaps close to one. There is one not far offshore um, from Huntington Beach, uh-huh. California. Lights are regularly seen coming in low and disappearing under the water. What we have uh, apparently at the Bermuda Triangle is a base that's unused at present, and the purpose for it is for recharging um, for USOs. And it is 
as I say, it's unused, but it is going to be utilized again <laughs> in future. So it is, in fact, maintained. The, the magnetics that are there are interfering with the navigational equipment, both marine and um, air. And it does, in fact, cause gauges to misread or not read at all um, and just become inoperable for varying periods of time. Um, there is an interesting side to this that the disappearance of ships and aircraft in this area largely remains a mystery that they're not found. Mm -hmm. There is that? thought that they go into another dimension, okay. much like Amelia Earhart. Right. We'll get into that. Chose to do. These bases are there, um, used or unused, um, and they will continue to interfere with navigation, uh, some more than others. I think that the Bermuda Triangle, there must be some kind of power down there for the many, many um, interruptions in travel that have been experienced. Who's maintaining the bases? Is it, do, are we aware of it? The government, is the government aware of it? No. Well, you know, is the government aware of it? Does that extend to Pentagon? Does that extend to military? If they are, they're not saying. What is We're at the place right now where they're just beginning to declassify. Yeah military documents. Uh, my sense is that no, they're not aware that these things are anomalies, that there is, um, there has been so much hidden and is still being hidden about events that just took place at Roswell, that something like this was probably deemed undesirable to relate to the general public <laughs> for the fear factor. Right. I don't think we talk about that openly. Yeah. And maybe like you say, it's like consciously, we're, there's so much fear running pervasively right now. And most countries, if they see an fly, un, unidentified flying object, they won't welcome it. They will try to shoot it down because- It will shoot first. And Pax has, has responded to my personal questions about that. Um, he is the universe- the universal wisdom remains highly unimpressed by the fact that situations like this would be greeted with warring, um, warring attitudes and behaviors. And I will shoot you down, maybe ask questions later, maybe not, but shoot you down, I will. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that, you know, Pac shakes his head about that too, because where do we go in a situation like this? How do we share knowledge? How do we impart wisdom to a culture that has this bravado, this attitude? When, for starters, it, it would be considered woo-woo anyway. So, um, you know, we're at, we are at a loss to know how to proceed um, to get this message across to our civilization that we do not need to function in fear in this way. Yeah, agreed. 
Well, let's go back to Amelia Earhart. Um, I, I'm obsessed with Amelia Earhart. I'll just put that out there. I've been Amelia Earhart about six times for Halloween. I've read books about Amelia Earhart. I love her. And when my dad, when I grew up flying with my dad, um, I would help, you know, I'd have to learn to fly a little bit in case something yes. happened. So I was really just into flying. And of course, uh, my dad would get me books about Amelia Earhart thinking I'm going to become this sort of, you know, transcontinental you know, of course <laughs> yes right and uh so of course you probably know about what came out in the news fairly recently maybe a couple of years ago about finding amelia Earhart's supposed bones that they did a dna uh sampling of and they no i don't know about that okay and i believe <laughs> that they claim that these must have been it was a female, female's bones that must have been, they were a match of some sort. But what Pax says is, no, no, Amelia Earhart went into a vortex or a time hole or a wormhole or whatever Pax wants to call it, um, and went into another dimension. Can you talk about that? Oh, I think it's a wonderful explanation. And it's based on the fact that when Amelia Earhart and her navigator Noonan, I've forgotten his first name. Right. Um, uh, oh gosh, I should know this. It's a were, were in flight and they encountered whatever it was that, that they encountered. We're told that what could not be identified was in fact a vortex that she recognized it as an opportunity based on her persona. She was an adventurer. Mm -hmm. She was fearless. A free spirit. She was in total control of her airplane. And she was going to look at this potential, this vortex, as an adventure. Now, I think most pilots would say, no, you don't fly into a vortex like certain cloud formations you avoid <laughs> right there are there are parts of this where we certainly do not know how it appeared physically in the sky to her but she saw something and we're told she said let's go for it let's here's another adventure or a continuation of this one, we're not going to go around it where I think she was called. I really do. I think she had a knowingness in her, an intuitiveness, that this was an opportunity for she and her plane and her navigator, and that whatever this would entail, she was going to experience it. Maybe she'd come home and write about it. We're told that she continues to fly high and fly free as the adventurer that she is in another dimension. And that's where that vortex took her. She, you know, in her little plane, she didn't get to another planet. She went into a vortex that took her into another dimension. I'm trying to think of, of the plane no, was it a lock, Lockheed? Lockheed, I believe, yeah. Yes. So in that Lockheed, she uh, 
she was invited in to another dimension where we like to think of her as as flying high today. Has she aged in the other dimension? Does she age? We haven't talked about that, but my sense is no. My sense is it's a it's a wondrous um, it's a wonderful continuation of of her her greatest um, gift in this lifetime and her greatest blessing, and to be able to move on and continue to to be her beautiful, youthful self. And, uh, you know, that's uh, such a very good question. I'm going to take that one to PAX. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let me know. And also, is she going to come back with this information for future generations? I think not. I think that what I, what I'm told about this is there, there is, um, there is closure. She went in and she stays in. It's another dimension completely, another life. Think of it as a parallel universe. Okay. Yeah. It it happens over there and life can go on. Now, in a parallel universe, people live through their lifetimes and yes, they 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 age. Um so for her to, to for us to consider her coming back here, I think not. No, she's living out her dreams elsewhere. Mm, good for her. I think so. Way to go, Amelia. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that makes me think about time doors. Like you talk about time door. There are these time doors in Sedona. People talk about time doors kind of all over the planet. Do those exist? Oh, you mean places where there are ley lines and, no, and the vortex? And some people describe them as literally like a door in the sky that you could call maybe a wormhole that literally you could, st- it looks like a window in the sky and you can step into it or not. And uh, apparently it's, it's, it's called a, um, I think it's called, it's called a time door. I haven't heard that term, no. Okay. So Matt Pax hasn't mentioned anything about time doors or other aspects of wormholes other than these, this vortex that. He's talked about wormholes as being in deep space. Um, And I think that they are construed to, to mean they're also giving access to other dimensions. That's what you're referring to, isn't it? Well, it's like there's wormholes and there's vortexes Amelia Earhart wasn't in another dimension or in deep space. She was up in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. are there wormholes or there's apparently vortexes in our atmosphere? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could call a vortex like a time door. It's just another name for the same. I think it is just another name. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But are there... Um, but there are, And there's not wormholes per se in our atmospheres. That's strictly related to deep space relegated to deep yes that's my understanding that's my understanding okay the vortexes will take us into those other dimensions much like those time doors referring to taking you back in time or forward in time or elsewhere what does that say about us using that as a form or mode of 
my, my mind goes into correction, but of course, the moment we start, we've seen plenty of movies where we start to try to correct or go back in time and it can cause oh. kinds of issues because there's a divine order to things. Yeah, I know, I know where you're going with this. I think that's frowned upon <laughs> cosmically. <laughs> right. it's, it's about trying to um, warp uh, time so that we can change the outcome of history changing yeah. history. If we could do that, there's a whole lot of stuff that we could ensure did not happen. But that capability in the wrong hands, think of that. Well, don't we have that capability? If you look at some of these classified documents where they talk about people that were um, seers or empaths or uh, clairvoyants or um, remote viewers, I believe it was specifically on remote viewers, where they looked into the future and they saw only so far. And, uh, and then they said, hey, we can't, we can't mess with, with this because uh, the, the earth is going to end up the way it's meant to end up and we can't mess with it. But they were apparently working on these uh, sort of classified um, secretive projects that uh, had to do with metaphysics and time travel. Is that anything PAX has brought up? A little bit. And I did study remote viewing at one point. I thought I might be interested in doing that. Uh, and yeah, I, I gave it up. Um, it's, um, it, it didn't seem to be where I wanted to go with that. And PAX does talk about that um and the sense is that there is not to be meddling we are not to be meddling with our history what is planned for based on what was and certainly not meddling with what was um, we are to learn from we are to take our lessons from what was and what is going to be and that is the hope, I think, from our <clears throat> universal wisdom that we do learn from what was, what is, and what will be, as far as we know that. Not to try to change everything, but to learn from it. What, what am I to know now? We don't do enough of that, it is felt. It is felt that we live superficially. And we don't go deeply into our our lessons, how we could how we could improve our lot in life, um, humanity, uh, our planet, our environment. If we just would look outside of ourselves, this is a lesson that uh, Pax wants us to be aware of constantly, to be mindful. Yeah. Yeah. How bad does it have to get for us to wake up? Well, Pax has told us in Do Unto Earth that we have 8 to 12 years on this planet before we reach a fail-safe point. Not to mean we're going to fall over the edge or the world is going to crumble, but it means a fail-safe point. And that term means you can't look, you can't go back to what was, because that what was is gone. You can't 
you can't expect that you can repair to the original because you've ruined it too badly. So can you ever clean your air? Can you ever clean the soil sufficiently to grow clean foods for your people? Or can your oceans be ever emptied of plastics? Can in, your case, in my case in the Pacific, uh, in Los Angeles, they just discovered just a couple weeks ago, 25,000 barrels of DDT barrels at the bottom of the ocean that were slit open for, I believe, since the 19, uh, well, I think it was since World War II up until the 60s. And then they did it again. And this is like monthly. And then they, I think they stopped in the 70s. And they have images of these men on these ships, not only throwing the barrels of DDT into the ocean, but literally taking a hatchet and breaking it open so that, so that it could sink to the bottom. And this marine biologist just happened to find with his robotics pretty recently, again, a couple of weeks ago, on just a routine sort of, you know, job looking at whatever he was looking at. He said, oh, I've got this robot for a couple more hours. Let's see what's down there. And he comes upon this image and he starts finding more and more. And they believe they found, they found 25,000. They believe there is up to a half a million barrels of DDT just kind of leaking and rotting. And all these sea lions and mammals and, and whales have of course been washing up and dying and having tumors. And I'm going, okay, I've been swimming in that ocean for 20 years and I've got a child and everyone else has been swimming in that ocean. And this is not far off from Catalina. And what about those people? And the list goes on and on of the consent. And further, where did the currents take that? We have currents that come right up and down our West coast. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that those waters come past my house too. Mm-hmm. My question would be, now that I've recovered sufficiently to speak, <laughs> who, who knows who knows this? Who is not only who is responsible, who knows this? Who who is the perpetrator? Exactly. But, and why is it because is it because this DDT product is no longer acceptable for use by our agricultural community nobody wants it because it's so toxic that it's being dumped and if that's the case i'm looking at the company that manufactures it as well as distributes it this is criminal behavior absolutely and i believe it was many many companies there are log books of these vessels going out there and dumping it in the middle of the night yeah Yeah, there would have to be. It sounds so cliche, but people listening to this, it is really about raising our consciousness. And you can say, oh yeah, it's about raising our consciousness. That sounds all great and I'll meditate and yada, yada. We have to raise our vibration so that we actually give enough. 
Absolutely. And until then, it's someone else's problem, isn't it? That's right. And we're just living for me and myself. Me, 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 me is my mantra. Me, 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 I, 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 me, myself alone. And if we go back and look at the past, like Pax says, to learn from the past, hey, guess what? When women had their period, the women would get together and they would rally for that woman so that she could regenerate her energy during the week. And they would do the fielding. They would take care of the children. They would let that woman rest. We would gather as the community, communion, communing together, not making it about the self and the self alone. And if we look at the past, that is how we sustained ourselves. Not making it about me, 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 and I need to pay my mortgage and my rent and all that. Yes, that will always exist. We always need to eat. We need to put a roof over our heads. But we can get, we can have both if we start learning and we start implementing what our ancestors literally did and paved the road for us if we just open our freaking eyes and do it. You reminded me of the book, The Red Tent. Oh, yes. I love that book. Mm-hmm. We, uh, our community, our strength is in being community, being a tribe. Yeah. Uh, coming together, working together as our First Nations ancestors did and still do. Uh, yeah. Looking, looking to them for guidance. Oh, I think that right now the um, the horrors of trying to clean the ocean, such as you've described, you know, that sort of thing lands in a court of law right now, as it should. But again, the consciousness raising, we have to be more aware. Um, that is so easily said, but it is not easily accomplished. People have to care outside of themselves outside of their job, their relationship. As you say, we are a me-first society, and that's just not conducive to healing. Yes, and that's not conducive to healing this planet. So until we all individually, one by one, soul to soul, breath by breath, we shift it back into the oneness, which is the allness, which is the collective, which is not the meanness, the I-ness, and make it about us. Good luck to us. <laughs> you know, I think that if your listeners would believe that it is a gift to each of us individually to become a part of this whole, to become to become one who makes a difference in the, the collectiveness of bringing together a group of people for a cause. And what greater cause could there be than keeping our environment clean and safe for us and our grandchildren to live in? It is our responsibility some wise person said that we don't we don't uh, leave our our world to our children isn't that it we we um they don't inherit it from us we borrow it from our grandchildren something of that nature it's not ours to ruin Mm -hmm. 
it is just not ours. It is, it is. We are visitors. You know, we are. Yes, we are. And if if you're looking in, in to what Pax is talking about in Do Unto Earth, he refers to our First Nations uh, people as being stewards of the planet. That is how they think of themselves. They do not own that piece of ground. They are stewards of it. And if they're passing through uh, now or in times past, uh, they would leave it as they found it, that land, or better than as they found it. They would clean it. They would protect it. And it's easy to see, looking at their motivations today as tribes around our globe, that is still their intention. They still want to protect our land and ensure that uh, their stewardship of it is successful and that as they pass it down in their culture, it is as clean and useful to their um, to their grandchildren and great-grandchildren as it was when they received it or, or better. Yeah. Here's something for people to listen to so that they can perhaps come into a greater motivation for caring is the positives that Pax talks about that is available to us as resources on this very planet. We have the ability to, as Pax talks about, say, heal Alzheimer's. And you talk about the redwoods, which I love. And if anybody has gone up to be with the redwoods up in Northern California, or even further up, you know, it's like, oh my God, I am breathing in the level of oxygen that I should naturally be breathing in every single day. And it's life-giving. And you talk about the power of the redwoods and do unto earth. And you also talk about what's in the soil that has been undiscovered that we can use for healing. And the power plants that are super plants that are available if we can raise our consciousness so that we can heal ourselves. So it behooves us, of course, to care for this planet because there will be no cancer if we took care of this planet. There would be no Alzheimer's if we took care of this planet. There would, no be, there would not be encephalopathy in children and autism Hey, if we cared for this planet, there would not be mitochondrial disorder if we cared for this planet. So that's a big statement, but I'm going to stick to that because we're seeing, particularly in America, children are the sickest they've ever been, yet our life expectancy, they say, is the best, but we're the sickest generation of children we've ever been. That's a whole other conversation, but let's just keep it with the planet and what is being taken, what we are doing to the planet, thinking that GMO seeds are a good idea for health. If you really look into what GMO seeds are, you're poisoning that plant so that the insects that go upon the plant don't even want to go near the plant because they recognize it as poison. But hey, have at it, 
give it to your infant in a baby formula because, you know, it's, it's a baby formula and it tastes sweet because they're going to put a bunch of corn syrup, more GMO from corn and no problem. That's going to be great for their growth development. So you want hormones in animals. How fast can you make a chicken grow? Right. How fast can you make beef cattle grow? What can you do to adjust the milk out of those dairy cows the way you want it with butter fat or no? Um, Even Pax and his unconditional loving is like, hold on, let me take a spin. Yeah. Yeah. What is Pax? Um, he was even a little hesitant about speaking about what is in fact in the soil under the redwoods because why? he was a little hesitant to oh, eat because, because the, let's get out there and chop down those redwoods to right. get the soil that's under there so he was your readers will find that he also said do not touch those trees it's the soil just underneath which can be carefully extracted but he really didn't want to talk too much about that either because there are those who will monetize that yeah. instantly yeah yeah um and of course we're killing the honeybees yeah which if the honeybees die i think civilization goes right after it to read about these things in books such as do unto earth have a, a an epiphany and then what what's next Will you take what you've read? Will you, assuming you believe it, that you can make a difference, will you set out to do so? Yeah. Will you join uh, forces with uh, like-minded people that you can support and be supported by and, and set out to do something like stop uh, GMO um, development or the other things that, uh, such as fossil fuels, which are so not needed, apparently, but so held on to by corporate and government money. Now, you talk about fracking and you talk about the pipeline in your book. And uh, again, right through those indigenous areas. Oh, <laughs> We had to be a little careful in, in that part of Do Unto Earth where Pax was talking about fracking because he has a, a way of waving his, you know, his father finger at us saying, are you kidding me? That why do you think your earth crust can withstand this? Right. How do you think this is appropriate? And he, he doesn't like to lecture, but there are times, and this was one of them. The whole continuous drilling uh, into the earth, and then we don't expect collapses of our hillsides, the clear cutting of our forests, and we don't expect landslides. I mean, there's no, there, there are no longer roots in there to hold the soil in place. And how do we expect forest fires to not be out of control when we have done what we do to our forests? And uh, it's, um, yeah, I'll tell you what, spirit is incredulous that we are behaving this way. And, but they're also just as supportive of helping us to find our way 
forward and find our personal way forward. And I think each of us has to know that we can make a difference in Pax tells us in our family, our village, our, our community around the globe, if we so choose, we can make a difference. We can be a catalyst. That's right. Believe it. Believe you have the strength. Believe you have the power. If you've given your power away, have a hard look at that. Make steps to take it back because you're valued. On this planet, each person has a role to play. And do you feel it in your heart? Pax talks to us always about trust in this, he'll say, and follow your heart. By this, he means the feeling you get in your heart, in that chakra area, when you think about something positive versus when you think about a negative. There's a warm and fuzzy versus a a coldness that will come to your heart area. And when you think about what you can do to contribute to the betterment of this world of ours, and you feel that that warmth in your heart that you know you can make a difference, that is your sign to yourself. That is your inner, your higher self it is saying, okay, let's let's, um, do it. You, You choose what it's going to be and we're here with you. Yeah. Universe provides. That's right. There's a great quote that uh, I was just talking about in my last podcast with a wonderful man named Jesu Garcia. And we were talking about a spiritual teacher named John Roger. And there's a wonderful quote. And the quote is this. It's that deception, meaning don't deceive yourself, right? Deception forfeits divine aid. I'm going to say that again. Deception forfeits divine aid divine aid divine aid so spirit is what we're doing spirit wants to help us spirit wants to guide us with a loving hand to the highest good but if we stand in our not caring in our small-mindedness in our ignorance in our selfishness in our turning the other cheek in our projecting it or um, giving it to somebody else to handle in our um, in our laziness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really? Sure. Somebody then, else's problem. Yeah. Not my problem. Don't have time. Then, okay. So much for getting the help that you need. So it's like when we really break it down, we're all powerful co-creators. Yes. We all have the ability to transform this planet individually to serve the collective. So it's like, wake up to that truth. And you know, it's like, you know, when your friend's about to call you, or you know, when somebody's thinking about you, or you know, when someone's staring at you in a checkout line, because you have that sixth sense, Mm -hmm. you inherently know what's for the highest good. And you know, when you hear the story about DDT being spilled into the ocean, I hope it makes your heart break because it should, because we don't have to have children or next of kin to care. It's that this is our home and this is humanity. And if we are gonna step into our larger selves, caring comes with that. It's like, it's just the loving sits. 
So I just invite everybody to take this in and just let it sit where it counts. And don't just listen, but take action because spirit really does meet you at the point of your action. So if you just sit and listen and go, that's a nice talk and God, that was kind of depressing, but okay, she has a point. She has a point. Wow, Pax, that's pretty, I'm going to read that book, but it's about the doing. So I just want to put that out there and I'm being pretty bossy on this podcast episode, but I don't care because this is about saving humanity, like no freaking joke, like let's get to it and let's not beat around the bush. And like you said, eight to 12 years, it's not a really long, not, that's not much. Time. It is not a long time and bless your bossiness. Somebody has to, you know, this is the kind of information, this which you are imparting, that should be coming from the highest of high in terms of government, political leaders. Um, truthfully, it's, it's everyone's problem. There are those who choose to avoid it, and there always will be, but you know, collectively, I think we need to shame them. Um, we can do something about that. But lead by example, I think, is, is what we need to do. Um, we, can, we can blast the naysayers all we want. But, you know, that wastes our energy, wastes our time. What we need to do is step up um, find where we can be effective and where our passion is. Nothing is an effort when you have a passion for it. So find your passion, step up, and begin to make a difference. Trust me when I say it will change your life for the better. You will become fulfilled happy with yourself, proud of your abilities, proud of your achievements, and most importantly, more important than being proud, is being humble about what you're able to accomplish and to share with others um, the, so that they also have an incentive to make a difference. It says, I think, in many places in the Holy Bible that we are our brother's keepers. Yes. Some people believe that, some people not so much, but we certainly are in the case of being our Earth, planet Earth stewards. We are the keepers of this planet Earth. And think about it. If we were doing such a great job of it, we wouldn't be having our interstellar visitors uh, swooping by to see what kind of a mess we're making and not wanting to stop because that mess is tangible. So we can all make a difference. It's ours to choose. Well said. Well, Carol, we could talk for another two hours in part two of- We could. Allegory manifesto of everything that's important and then some. So I'm so- I'm in, I'm in. Okay, let's, (laughs) we'll find a a whole other lot to break down and dissect and share and offer to these 
hungry listeners because you know what? I know we are ready and we are wanting whether we know it or not. And we need to come together and waste no time. So let's get to the juice. Let's dissolve the superficiality and the pillow talk and the small talk and the stuff that doesn't matter and the lies and all those things that are just getting, we're getting bombarded with that are not truths and really start looking under the hood and going, God, spirit, Pax, divine collective, whatever you want to call it, what can I do today to serve? And I promise you, just like Carol said, your life's going to change. I woke up one day and spirit said, you're going to do a podcast. And I said, I don't have anything to talk about. And spirit said, you're ridiculous. We're going to send you guests and we'll talk to you later. And I said, what do you call it? They said, you're a geek called the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. And that took place in less than 30 seconds. And since I started, I'm meeting incredible people like you and I'm meeting people all over the world and it's making a difference. And that's one small thing that I'm doing that's part of this collective. And it's a passion. You can do the same, whether it's a podcast, whether it's going down to your local beach and clearing the trash with your neighbors, and then maybe getting some coffee afterwards. Well, don't get coffee. That's an alkaloid and you don't want that. So drink decaf coffee. That's another, well, another episode. (laughs) But you get my drift. You get our drift. So I'm going to leave you with that. Carol, you are an absolute angel. I'm so looking forward to part two. And, uh, I just love meeting you here. I'm grateful. Thank you so much. I will look forward to part two, and I'd like to leave your listeners with what Diane just said. Be open to receive, as she did. Hence this podcast. Be open to receive what you can do to serve. And even if you break it down into one day, one day at a time is a good way to go forward. Carol, just before you go, where can we find you? What's your website? Thank you. Um, There are two websites. Uh, The first would be for all of the books. It's simply paxwisdom.com. One word, paxwisdom.com. And mine is just my name, Carol. That's Carol with an E, carolserenborgans.com. Also, all the books are on that website, as well as links on both websites to Amazon for book purchase. And on my personal website, links to myself for personal, private packs readings. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform, or go to spiritualgeekout.com.